Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 to 53. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. So, you think I'm going to hell. Is that right? That's what this guy said to me. He said, you think I'm going to hell, don't you? Um, I was chatting with him, um, chatting with him on campus, actually, about Jesus. And he'd kind of uh, put some of these pieces together. He'd he thought, well, Christians believe they go to heaven, and if I'm not a Christian, what does that mean? And he wanted to know, do you think I'm going to hell? It's quite a confronting moment. Uh, really what that is, is the, the raw edge of a question that I think lots of people ask. That, is Christianity really exclusive? Is it true that there's insiders and outsiders, that there, is there really this solid dividing line between those who are saved and those who aren't? And it's a huge question in our culture. Obviously, that hits home, doesn't it? Uh, our culture is all about tolerance and inclusivity. And so, uh, just like this guy, people want to know, that they don't like the idea when it comes to Jesus uh, that some people might be excluded. Uh, this guy... Uh, he thought that if I thought he was going to hell, he didn't want a piece of it. So how do you answer that question when someone asks you? How do you answer that question? Do you think I'm going to hell? Uh, Well, uh, we could spend all night coming up with uh, great answers, but a better way to go would be to ask, what does Jesus think? What does Jesus say about it? And that's our task for tonight, uh, to try and answer that question. And the way we're going to do it is by looking at these uh, two little parables. And we're looking at them tonight uh, as we think about the year ahead, to think about who we are as a church, as believers, and uh, what it is that defines us. So what does Jesus say about this question? According to Jesus, God's kingdom is exclusive. God's kingdom is exclusive. There's kind of two parts to this. We're going to see, uh, firstly, how God's kingdom is exclusive. In that, it includes some and it excludes others. Here in uh, Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 13, Jesus has been teaching people about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, All these parables start with the kingdom of heaven is like a certain thing. But first we need to step back and and ask that question, uh, what does that mean, kingdom of heaven? What, What are we talking about? 
Well, it's kind of like the kingdom of Brunei, right? Brunei is one of the last remaining absolute monarchies. That is, uh, where the king isn't just a figurehead, uh, he doesn't just cut ribbons uh, down at the hospital, but he actually makes the rules. He's the one in charge. Whatever he says goes. And so the kingdom is, is his realm, the, the people that he rules over. That is his kingdom. And so to be in the kingdom of Brunei means to sit under the king and have all of his rules and laws apply to you. Now, absolute monarchies are kind of a high-risk, high-reward type proposition for a country because if you have a selfish king, a tyrant, um, then, you know, life's going to stink, right? You're on the fast track to a failed state uh, because there's, there's no checks and balances on this guy. But if you have a good king, he has absolute authority to make the place awesome. You know, he just gets to, to, to say whatever goes. There's, there's no red tape at all. It's just water slides from the top of Kings Park down into the, the river, just like we all want. Just, it happens. And so the kingdom of heaven is shorthand for that, for God as king and the world that lives perfectly under God's perfect rule. It's a world of God's blessing, the creator God. And as you read through Matthew's gospel, what you see is that kingdom in action in the life of Jesus. He heals the sick. He raises a dead girl. You see God's kingdom taking place, all the blessings of God coming out. This kingdom will have no more crying, no more pain, no more death, no more covid No more cancer, no more gossip, no more pornography. It's God's kingdom. But in order to set up God's perfect kingdom, Jesus says you need exclusion. He says you need the exclusion of evil. Now let's dig into the parable there in verse 47. He says, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like... A net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw away the bad. Now, if you're fishing in the first century, you're using a net. And uh, what you do is you throw it out and bring it in. And obviously, you you pull in all kinds of fish. Some of them are going to be nice, like a nice snapper. Uh, and some are just going to be a blowy, right? You, you know, fish that you don't want and you can't eat and you chuck them back. Uh, so one job is catching the fish. Uh, the next job is sorting the fish. And Jesus said, says God's kingdom is like that. There's a sorting involved because God, God's kingdom excludes evil. God himself makes a judgment about the good fish that he's going to keep and the bad fish that are out. That's what Jesus explains in the next verse. 49, he says, this is how it will be at the end of the age. As when, when this age ends and God's kingdom begins, this is what it will be like. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw the wicked, throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I guess this is where people get the idea uh, that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. You know, good fish in, righteous, uh, wicked bad fish out and so if I'm good or if I'm mostly good or if I try to be good then I'll go to heaven but it's not that simple 
Uh, let's put a pin in that. Uh, we'll get back to that question in a bit. But uh, see in these verses, God has set an end point to history. The end of the age there in verse 49. And there will be a separation, wicked from righteous. There will be an exclusion. Those who do not belong in God's kingdom. And there will be punishment. This uh, blazing furnace is the Bible's picture of God's judgment against evil. Evil won't just be thrown out and excluded, but it will be punished. Uh, The guilty will see justice. Uh, Later on, Jesus calls it hell, this exclusion and punishment. And I guess this is the point that this guy I was chatting with was objecting to. See, whether you're a Christian or not, that, this sounds offensive to our ears. You think I'm going to hell, don't you? But can you see that this exclusion is logical? At least it's logical. Let's have a think. Because if God is going to uh, create this perfect world, this kingdom, then he can't lay out the welcome mat for evil. He just can't. Because then it wouldn't be a perfect kingdom. It wouldn't work. No, evil must be excluded. It has to. And can you see that that's good? Don't we want evil out? A world without evil, without all of those things. Uh, Right now, if you read the news, it's not the the top story by any means, uh, but there is a humanitarian crisis going on in Yemen 82% of the population need humanitarian assistance. 7 million are facing extreme famine conditions, including 2.3 million children. And in fact, uh, one Yemeni child dies every 10 minutes just from malnutrition. And if all that was an accident, if it was just a bad harvest or a drought, that would be one thing. But it's not that at all. It's just from human evil, from a civil war that will not stop, from people who will not let go of fighting others, even as the nation starves. And for those in power and those on the ground doing the the fighting, it's evil. And we don't want that in our world, do we? This, This war that's raged on for years and years and continues to claim so many innocent lives... We need that to be called to justice. Won't it be good to have evil like that thrown out? The people of Yemen are crying out for it. And God's kingdom excludes evil. But according to Jesus, it's not just the idea of evil that will be chucked out. It's evil people. It's the wicked. It's those who do those evil things. Uh, Anyone who is not right with God, uh, that's what wicked and righteous means. Uh, Righteous just means right with God, in right relationship with God. And and to be wicked is to be out of relationship with God. And so it's not just evil that we be chucked out, but evil people. It's not just racism that will have no place in God's kingdom, but it's people who chant racist slogans. And here's where it starts getting tricky. 
because I'm really happy to draw the exclusion line at Yemeni warlords, right? Chuck them out. They don't deserve a place. But if I want wars excluded, then I want all kinds of hatred excluded. And I've hated people. Not with that effect, obviously. But I know what selfishness is like. I've held grudges. See, where will God draw that exclusion line to keep evil out of his perfect world? Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a Russian writer who spent eight years in a Soviet prison camp under Stalin. Um, He faced some of the worst brutality of the modern world. Uh, But as he writes in his uh, memoirs, the thing he reflects on isn't just how evil the secret police were uh, when they arrested him and tortured him. The thing he thinks through is how easily it could have been him on the other side. This is what he said. It's a long quote, but it's worth uh, hearing in full. He says, If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Confronted by the pit into which we are about to toss those who have done us harm, we halt, stricken dumb. It is, after all, only because of the way things worked out that they were the executioners and we weren't. From good to evil is one quaver, says the proverb. So his situation was really stark because uh, these were people like him, his countrymen who were were doing this to him. It wasn't some kind of far-off, war-torn country like uh, Yemen. And so he had to come to terms with the fact that that could just as easily have been him. That actually within his heart is the same kind of evil that we want God to deal with. We want a world with no more crying. But who of us hasn't done something to bring tears to another? God's kingdom excludes evil. And if we're honest, he has to exclude us. That's part one. God's kingdom is exclusive. But part two, God's kingdom is also radically open. Hear that again. God's kingdom is also radically open. Um, there, the first parable that we read, um, before we get to this parable of the net... Uh, we have this, these two stories about people who find the kingdom. People who find the kingdom. Verse 44, let's have a read. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. It's like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, when he found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. See, this uh, story exists in a world where you didn't have banks and so uh, often the safest place to keep your money was to bury it in the ground. If it was your field, uh, you bury it in the ground and it stays there. Uh, probably there's a backstory to, to the story that Jesus tells um, that his listeners would have understood. 
um, someone has obviously buried this treasure, this, this great store of wealth, but then uh, they didn't tell anyone about it. And then they die suddenly or, or, or something happens. And so now you just have this treasure in the field waiting for someone to find it. And so along comes this, uh, this man, maybe he's renting the field and um, he's using it for farmland and he's like pushing the ox and the plough and he's kind of digging along and... He's, he hears the thunk and digs down and, and then he finds this box and he cracks it open and inside, more money than he could possibly dream. An amazing treasure. And so quickly, he just like he hides it, he covers the ground back up and he runs off and he sells everything. And he says, you know that field that I've been renting off you, I want to buy it. And he's, he kind of gets all his friends together and he has this crazy fire sale of all his equipment and all his stuff, all his possessions. He sells the lot because he wants that field. Because in it is the treasure. And it's his joy that drives him, the, the joy of perhaps possessing this thing. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that. The joy if you find it. Not literally like treasure, but finding a way into it to be included rather than excluded. He says to find that is to find a real joy. And uh, just so we don't think this is a kind of get-rich-quick scheme, that if you find the kingdom, you just get all the money. Um, the, The parable of the pearl adds something a little bit different, like a different angle on the same thing. The treasure in the field makes the man rich. But notice the pearl makes the man poor. So he's frozen his assets, right? He takes everything he has, all of his stuff, and he sells it, and he takes the cash, and he sinks it into a single item, a thing you can't do anything with, a pearl. And practically speaking, he's far worse off than before. But he has the pearl. He has the pearl. This pearl trader has found the most precious thing in existence, more precious than money. He doesn't care about the money. This thing is invaluable. To have the pearl, the money is irrelevant. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that, to know God himself to be with him, to be right with him and part of his perfect world. It's it's more precious than money. All you need to do is find it. And so this kingdom is radically open, open to anyone who would find it. So how do you find this kingdom? Uh, Well, the answer is actually pretty straightforward. That God's kingdom is found in God's king. God's kingdom is found in God's king. To be part of God's kingdom is to put yourself under God's king. To trust him, to follow him, to, to obey him. You make Jesus your king. And the great news of, of Christianity is that Jesus is a king who uh, makes us fit for that kingdom. Even if we bring these these hearts that are prone to evil. He brings forgiveness and he offers transformation and a fresh start. He declares us right with God and he welcomes us in. God's kingdom is radically open 
And Jesus is radically open to who he offers that to. Anyone from any background, any subculture, any nationality, all of them are given a welcome in to this kingdom if they will put themselves under God's king. And so that's what happens in these stories. If you want to find, possess this treasure, this pearl, uh, here's what to do. You sell everything. If you want to possess the kingdom, sell everything. That's what happens uh, in these parables. The man uh, sells everything to get the treasure, the pearl. I think it's it's Jesus' picture of what it means uh, to trust him, to trust Jesus. To be a Christian is to go all in, uh, to give up control of your life and uh, put yourself under Jesus as the king. That's what it means, to sell everything else, whatever it takes. If you think to yourself, what, if I become a Christian, then I'll, I'll lose my friends. It'll be so hard at uni. Do it. Sell everything. It's worth it to have Jesus as your king. You might, might think, if, if I become a Christian, then that's just going to put me so far behind at work. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cost me so much. Do it. Sell everything. Nothing is worth holding on to that stops you from finding this kingdom. That's the, story, that's the message of these little stories of people who find this precious thing. See, God's kingdom isn't just for good people, for people who uh, think themselves to be, to be good enough for God somehow, that somehow that if you're good, you go to heaven, and if you're bad, you go to hell. No, it's only for those who recognise their need and so put themselves under this saving King Jesus who find out about him and what it means to belong to him. So, how do you answer someone who has asked you that question that we thought about at the start? Do you think I'm going to hell? Maybe you've asked that question of someone else. Or maybe someone has asked you that. How do you answer? What's what's the tactful way to, to approach it? I actually think, in real life, I would answer by telling them a couple of Jesus stories, the ones that we've read tonight. I'd tell the story of Annette, and I'd explain that, uh, yes, God's kingdom excludes evil, and that hell is the, the final outcome for those who aren't right with God. And I'd say that uh, that would be me too. And I tell the story of a treasure hidden in a field and that you can find your way into God's kingdom through, uh, through Jesus, God's king. And I'd say that if you knew what it was like to be right with God, to belong to him, then you would literally sell everything to make it happen.